0: You're listening to the Health by Design podcast and I'm your host, Roar Alexander, wellness architect and functional lifestylist. I spent nearly six years of my life on a journey through the ancient East to bring you the cutting edge combination of modern Western health sciences blended with the time proven ancient traditions, principles and practices that have flourished through thousands of years across countless cultures, peoples and nations. Join me and my many special guests from all corners of the globe as we aim to help you live stronger, longer, and better. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Health by Design podcast. I am Ror Alexander, uh, and today I have a great show coming up for you. Many of you, you know, don't know me personally, so you probably don't know this about me, but I just love cooking. I think cooking is something that, you know, is be- definitely becoming a lost art. So many of us are eating out nowadays. So many of us are just getting food on the go. You know, we like to think, they like to talk about how the millennials are, uh, you know, so healthy and so health conscious, yet they're eating out more often than ever and quite often we like to think oh well we're eating out of these healthy places but the fact is it's very hard to eat out at healthy places you know especially in north america food serving sizes are always big and restaurants are in it and stores you know whether you're getting ready-made food at the grocery store or you're going to the most expensive fancy restaurant with you know 29 dollars glasses of wine and hundred dollar plates they're still in there to make profit so don't don't be thinking under any circumstances that, you know, eating out is healthy. In fact, even Whole Foods, uh, you know, it, I, I personally hate Whole Foods, but everybody goes to Whole Foods, buys the ready-made food, their breaks Well, oh, I went shopping at Whole Foods. Oh, I had my lunch at Whole Foods. They cook all their food in crappy old canola oil. So, you know, canola oil, extremely refined, extremely unhealthy, no way a health food. So, One of the things that I am very proud of myself is that I've always been a cook. I learned to cook a long time ago. And to be honest, it's not that hard, particularly if you just, you know, you keep the ingredients pretty simple, Um, but you also have to be imaginative. And that's one thing that I spend a lot of time on because when you're eating healthy, you know, back when I was, you know, back in the long time ago, in my 20s when I was cooking, you know, and doing the kind of the fitness bodybuildery sort of diet, you know, just what they call quote unquote clean eating. You know, foods could get pretty boring, and even you hear about it nowadays. You know, you hear about somebody getting really in shape, you always hear about it's the same thing. It's like oatmeal, you know, uh, rice, broccoli, uh, you know, and chicken breasts. Well, the fact is, it doesn't have to be that way. Uh, To be honest, chicken thighs are are healthier for you than the chicken breast, you know. Don't worry about the little bit of fat in there, but that actually there's a lot of research that shows that dark meat uh, by the chicken is actually a lot healthier for you. Uh, at the end of the day, then the white meat by far. And then, of course, you have organ meats and stuff like that. You know, I just made myself a, um, you go to my Instagram and uh, YouTube page, you'll see I made a liver pate recently. I made a liver mustard seed broccoli sprout pate that was absolutely delicious. I was eating that uh, for about a week. Um, with a little bit of splash of red wine in there, just something I really wanted to try, it's something new. I'm also working on a, um, a new one right now. A video I'll have out soon. On uh, by the time you're listening to this, it'll be on there. On just my three ingredient cookies. Now I say three, and it really is three. You can make it. The ingredients really simple. It's just you know crushed, you know squished up banana, uh, instant oatmeal,s and some dark chocolate chips. Now you can of course make this much healthier if you want. You can start going crazy. I would suggest instead of just semi-sweet dark chips, you actually go get yourself, say, a 75 or 80% dark chocolate bar. Smash it all up with a hammer and use that instead. Significantly healthier. So much research behind dark chocolate. Uh, it's even been shown that people who drink dark chocolate uh, a couple times a day can actually increase the uh, circulating amount of stem cells in their blood. So dark chocolate, amazing superfood. So... Throw that in there. Just three ingredients. to throw it in the oven. You bake it for about fifteen minutes. Absolutely delicious. Now, other things I do, and I've been fooling around, is sometimes I'll add in a tablespoon of peanut butter to get um, you know a, a little more of those uh, you know mono fats in there. I, I can sprinkle in some hemp seeds sometimes, some chia seed. You can mix in nuts. Uh, if you really want it chocolatey, then you know get yourself just some pure chocolate. You know some pure cocoa powder and throw that in there. Fool around. But just experiment. That's what I do. I just experiment. So one day, I throw in the dark chocolate powder. Um, I also was recently over in the Philippines, and I uh, Philippines, very world-famous for their chocolate down in the south, like in Davao and those sorts of areas. So I actually bought some roasted cacao nibs, and I throw that in there. You mix that with the dark chocolate chips, it gives it that extra crunching, that little bit of chocolate. And uh, while the, the nibs themselves are not sweet, When you you have them with the banana and with the regular little amount of dark chocolate, chocolate chips that are in there, they don't taste bitter at all. So you can really fool around with that. You know, you can do three ingredients, four ingredients, you know, go up to six or seven ingredients, but super simple, only takes about 15 minutes to bake. So those are awesome. But why am I talking about that so much? Well, because today I am speaking to um, an author of two books that I bought recently, I've been doing a lot of writing lately, and really just talking about and promoting the use of spices in our food. If you've been to my website, you know, go to RoarAlexander.com, click you know under the tab up there. I believe it just says Eat Rx at the top, and you see there's an entire page I have where I talk about what I call our Wonder Bread culture, um, and where I came up with that term was as I was living in you know places like China. And going to places like india and malaysia and living in thailand and, and taiwan and hong kong every country i went to no matter where when they see a white person the very first thing they do when any of you order anything is they say oh that's spicy oh that's too spicy Oh, that... they really have this opinion of us that we like our foods bland and boring it's it's a stereotype that drives me nuts but. Like everything else, it is kind of a true stereotype, so I can't argue that. We live in a very Wonder bread, Starbucks, you know, McDonald's culture, Just white bread, everything's boring. You know, there's the jokes about how bad England English food is. Well, you know, it's kind of our culture. French fries and hamburgers, you know what I mean? Look at, America, look at what we have. What is Canadian or American food? What is Western food? Hamburger, French fries, mashed potatoes. Uh... You know, hot dogs. I mean, it's really pretty boring stuff. You go to places like Thailand or China or Hong Kong and India where they just have, you know, India particularly, you know, the spice capital of the world, you know, throughout history, thousands and thousands of years. I mean, basically spices created culture. They created history. Spices, in fact, you know, Romans were sometimes paid in salt. Spices have been used back in, in history as currency. Um, so I've been doing a lot of promoting of spices lately, just, you know, every, and spices are so easy to get in your diet and, you know, spices and herbs and just, just fragrant flavors, you know, even just throwing a little bit of a fruit or, you know, apple cider vinegar into your water, you know, instead of having fruit juices, but just throwing a little bit of that and just to get some flavoring. There's so many ways that we can flavor things. And not just for the taste, and the taste is great, but also for the medicinal value, for the body value. You know, uh, every morning when I have my coffee, I, you know, I have my, my video on YouTube where I show my morning mastermind coffee, but often it's just quite simple. It's just uh, about a quarter to maybe one eighth of a teaspoon of cinnamon uh, coffee and a little bit of coconut milk. I mean, so I get my cinnamon there, which helps balance blood sugar, but it's shown to help with the metabolism a little bit. Um, Helps with insulin sensitivity. So there I go. I've already got cinnamon in the one part of the day. I, I add mint leaves uh, and lemon into my water. I leave that overnight. Uh, I, like I said, I have apple cider vinegar. You can zest the peels of lemons and limes and oranges. And, you know, zestings awesome. And the peel is so full of nutrients It's so many things that we just throw away. I'm going to be going pretty crazy. So if you don't follow my blogs, make sure you follow my blogs and my YouTube channel. Again, that's RoarAlexander.com is for my website. And then YouTube is just RoarAlexander. Instagram is RoarAlexander. Facebook's RoarAlexander. Super easy to find. I post all this sort of stuff there. But today's episode uh, is really one that I'm excited about because when I was looking for a book on spices recently, I wanted to get a really good, I wanted to find like the Bible or the encyclopedia, what I thought was Spices, to me, is what I was looking for. And recently, there's two books I bought. One is the Encyclopedia of Ayurvedic Medicine, which is great, tells you about all the different medicinal values, but what I was really looking for um, this you know, lately is a book on spices that talks about how to use spices, how to mix spices, spices from around the world. I wanted to just, literally a book that just tells me everything I want to know about spices, from their history, to the flavors of the world, um, you know, the, all, I just wanted to learn every, everything there is. I can't explain it. I wanted to know everything there is about spices. So I've been watching YouTube videos on spices. I've been watching everything. But I was researching and I found this book called Spice by Dr. Stuart Fairmont. And literally, it's like he listened to what I said and wrote a book on it, even though he wrote the book before, I, you know, what I said. But this book... It tells you he's created the periodic table of elements of spices. He tells you the science of which spice goes with which to create new flavors. He talks about the Chinese five spice. He goes through all the major continents and different countries. And he tells you about the flavors they have there. And he gives you some really, you know, recipes from each one of those countries. So you can start experimenting on your own. And he really promotes experimenting this book. It is a beautifully laid out book. Full color beautiful graphics it is like it is the best book on spices i think that could ever be written period hands down not the best book out there now the best book that's out there now or ever will be cuz the you know there's not a whole lot that's going to really change on spices so he's just put it all together and he's put it into a way where you can you know there's lots of recipe books out there just say use this use that but they don't tell you the, the why the how like which ones go together and why do they go together which ones don't go together and why don't they go together well his book covers all that and i was so impressed with this book that i turned around and i bought uh his his original book that he first wrote which was called the science of cooking where and that's really what it is he talks about How this happens and why this happens. Like, is it best to brown your meat first? Yes or no? Why? Is it, you know, um, how, why does this turn like this and that go like that? How is the best way to make this to get the most flavor? So, unlike, you know, recipe books that just basically tell you how to make something, he tells you why it's best to make it that way and the sort of tools you want to use. He talks about the different kinds of pots and pans and why, what makes the difference. Why do you want to choose this over that? So very grateful to him for coming on my podcast. He's over in England. Uh, we got on a call on Skype and we did, had a great interview where we talked about the science of cooking, um, You know, some of the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to cooking, and then we got into spices. So if you want to know more about cooking, if you want to maximize and optimize and just become the Best, you know, weekend chef you can, then I really suggest picking up the science of cooking uh, as well as the book Spices. Um, Saying that, however, make sure you always go by the way, if you are, you know, if you're looking to lose some weight, if you're, you know, you need some guidance, you want some guidance maybe with your nutrition and your fitness plan, then please go to my website, www.roaralexander.com. I am taking on a few coaching clients right now or consultation clients. Whether you just need, like I said, I've said this in the past, if you just need somebody to help you get, you know, from A to B, help you get on the right track, I'm more than happy to do that. Actually, that's what I'd like to do. My coaching and my consulting is more about educating you to get you on the right track. I'm one of those people who believe you shouldn't need a coach or a trainer for your entire life. You know, you shouldn't, you should be able to, I will help you find the motivation, help you get on the right track to keep going. Saying that, however, if you do feel like you need some longer term uh, help, you know, get getting yourself on a program, whether it's a nutrition program, a fitness program, just active lifestyle program, maybe you just need, you. maybe you're just like, you know what, I am just unhealthy, I need everything. My house is a mess, I need to clear this up, I need to get my life clear, I need to get some focus, I want to redo my kitchen, I want to just... My home, because you know, if you follow my website, you know that to me, home is where health is made. So, if you're like, you know, you watch these shows you see on Netflix right now where that one woman goes and she cleans up people's houses, all clutter and their messes. Fact is, if your home is a mess, your car is a mess, your life is a mess, you're probably not going to get healthier and you're not going to reach your goals. So the people that you know, you're know you hanging out with right now currently, people that surround you in your life are not the kinds of people that you need to help you get your goals. Well, that's what I'm here to help you do. So whether we need to fix your nutrition, fix your fitness, or fix your entire life, I am here to help you. So again, you can go to www.roaralexander.com. Uh, go to the tab up there. I believe it just says coaching along the top. You know, check out a couple of the different options I have at the bottom of each page. There's an application there. Just fill it out, shoot it to me. And if everything looks great, I will give you a call. We'll get on a free coaching call there. So that's no problem. But uh, saying that, with no further ado, let's get on to Dr. Stuart Ferramond And let's talk about getting rid of our Wonder Bread culture. So I am here with Dr. Stuart Fairmont. How are you today, Dr. Fairmont?
1: Uh, very good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, no problem. Thank you so much. You're over in the UK right now, is that correct?
1: Yes, I am. live in the uh, southwest in rural England. Uh, Very nice. It's here too. Nice and sunny.
0: Yeah, very nice. And now you're about... What time is it there? For me, it's 10 a.m. What time are you at? About 5 in the afternoon?
1: Uh, Yeah, about 5 in the afternoon, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah. My sister is actually over in England right now. She's... um, temporarily placed herself permanently over there. I say temporary because it was one of those things she was only supposed to be there for a couple months and she's decided to stay there somehow. So.
1: Oh, great. She's fallen in love with the country. That's great. That's yeah,
0: great. she's always loved England. My stepdad is actually, was actually, he died a couple of years ago, but he's actually from London. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, she's always, the whole family's always loved England. So she's over there and uh, yeah, I think she's in London actually right now. I think they just arrived in London today.
1: Oh, that's great! I mean, London's—it's great city. I really like London, but I wouldn't want to live there. It's one of those places that's fantastic to visit, and there's so much going on. There's so much to see in the history and all the rest of it. But uh, I think it takes a special person to um to live there.
0: Yeah, probably true. I've only been to England once, and actually, I didn't spend much time in London. Um, I was only—I think I was only 17 or 18—and um, I went to visit a friend there. I think for two or three weeks, and I spent most of my time in Bristol.
1: Mm-hmm, and
0: mm-hmm. in Canterbury, because we had some friends in Canterbury. so
1: Okay. Yeah, so. Bristol's really close to me. Bristol's really close.
0: Oh, is it? Yeah, I enjoyed Bristol, because that's kind of near Stonehenge too, correct? I believe we took a Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, just down the road from Stonehenge, yeah.
0: Yeah, the two things I remember, I think about Bristol, if I could be mistaken, but I remember there was Stonehenge, and I remember, yep. I believe there was a topless beach, and the women were all topless.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know about that one, but you're probably right.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was because I just remember being surprised because in Canada that just you know that, you know that until it like, you know, was well, still now it just doesn't happen. So I just remember being quite surprised at that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um,
0: great. Well, anyways, enough about that. Um, your book Spice—that's um, what got me in touch with you. I'm a huge fan of spices. Being able to get more spices in the day, uh, herbs, you know, infusion. I always add you know just fruit infusions to my water. I I'm all about flavor. And mm. so what happened is I was looking for a book to understand more about spices. Now, the listeners probably know this, but, you know, I spent six years in Asia and I really got into spices for a couple reasons. I was studying, I was, you know, reading a little bit on tra- traditional Chinese medicine, feng shui and, uh, you know, Ayurvedic medicine. But the biggest thing was you know, everywhere I went, I'd order food, you know, no matter what country, India, you know, Malaysia, it doesn't matter, China, they'd always say, oh, no, it's spicy. You don't want to eat that. But I love spices. (laughs) (laughs) So when I came back here, I wanted to, you know, find a really good book on spice. And I started researching, you know, just typical Amazon and just Googling. And I came across the Amazon link for your book. And Mm. the thing is, when I kind of you can preview some of the pages on um, on Amazon and what I really liked about your book was that it's really lots of lots of pictures lots of diagrams like it, it's a, it's not just black and white words but it's a, it's an amazing almost encyclopedia of spice um, so how did you how did you get let's start with how did you get because I know this is your second book I believe so let's talk about how did you get interested in cooking in the first place
1: yeah, my passion is about communicating science to, uh, to everybody, really, because I think that science is not this, um, this bookish thing that people do in lab coats. Um, it's actually just a way in which we better understand our world around us and lets us appreciate actually the, the incredibleness of this world that we live in and the bodies that we that we dwell in. And I kind of after leaving medicine, I've got a long story, but after leaving medicine, I went to teaching and I discovered this real passion for uh, doing science communication. And then I kind of fell into food science and I found it to be a fantastic way to um, to to get across. Um, I guess the wonders of science, if you like, because everybody likes eating, everybody likes food. I'd say many of us like cooking and so much stuff goes on when you cook. And it's actually when you understand it, it's really interesting. So, you know, things like why is it that when I grill a steak, all of a sudden it goes brown and tastes great? Well, And when you understand that and you realise that there's a reaction that's going on on the surface... Uh, called the browning reaction, and it only happens when it gets above a certain temperature, it gets above boiling point. Then, oh, right, then I can. That's why if I boil it, if I get some meat and I put it in a pot and, and boil it in a stew, I don't get that nice brown flavor. So perhaps what I can do is I can make sure that I brown it before, or I can do the sauce separately and pour it on the top. And then, you, because this reaction is what gives all the flavor of so many of the things that we eat. The Same with spices, it happens. And so I just kind of fell in love with the, the food science thing and people similarly seem to love it. So so went, did cooking, did the science of cooking and that was really successful. Uh, and then so followed it up with the science of spice, so, which I think the book has different titles. So in North America, I think it's called spice and it's got a reddish orange color. And then in the rest of the world, it's got a, a grayish color, and it's called The Science of Spice.
0: Oh, that's interesting. I did not realize that. Yeah, in Canada here, it just says spice. It's just big, like you said, big orange book with pictures of spices, and it just says spice. So so, so for people can differentiate it, there is a subtitle, which is understand the science of spice, create exciting new blends, and revolutionize your cooking. Um so let me ask you, what. let's talk about your first book then. Now, I've ordered your first book, um, but I haven't got it yet. So I really know very little about it. Again, I just looked at Amazon. I was like, wow, these look like some great pictures and there seem to be some great points. What kind of stuff, um, like, what, what's in your first book? Let's talk about that one. Like, what, what will I expect to see?
1: Sure. It's like a almost a kind of a QA of you're in the kitchen and why does this happen? Um, so, like, how can I tell? If my meat is done or not? Uh, how can how can I get a steak right so that it's rare? Uh, what's the best way to um, poach an egg? Um, should I? How can I tell when when lobster is done? Uh, is there a healthiest way to cook my vegetables? is juicing good for you? Um, What's the difference? And all these kind of these things goes through different, goes through uh, meats and then we do fish and we do vegetables, we do grains, we do baking. So why hasn't my cake risen? And then there's this great diagram that shows what happens when your cake is in the oven and it's rising and at different points. And if you open the oven door at this point, this is why it will sink. and so that's kind of the whole kind of gamut of cooking. That's that's the that's the first one. And you're right, the publisher, DK Books, uh, they're fantastic with their with their artwork. Really are gifted um, designers. And so as you can see from from the Spice Book, uh, and you'll see similarly with the uh, the Science of Cooking book, um, they do a really great job of making it very beautiful.
0: Yeah. No, the Spice Book is. It- It's just, it's an amazing, it's almost like, I don't want to say art, but it's almost like an art.
1: (laughs) It is, it it is. so well done. (laughs) I send them the words and then they come back with something and I go, wow, that's incredible. How did you, what did you come up with these ideas for doing it like that? So yes, they're they're very good people. When you
0: send it to them, because I'm working on a book myself and mine is actually going to be very photo heavy and kind of diagram heavy too. Um, But it's difficult because, you know, you're writing it just in word, right? Like just in Mm -hmm. black and white words. So is that how you write yours? You just do black and white words and then they handle like the rest, like the layout?
1: Yeah, I do. I write in, yeah, just black and white. And then at the end of each section, I'll put in some suggestions for how I think it can be, uh, how I think it could be laid out or or what diagrams I think could work, what kind of imagery. And sometimes I'll get something, um, some examples that people have done online. I'll say something a bit like this, or I'll sketch something out and put it in there. And then they can, they kind of take that on board. And sometimes they use it and sometimes they do something a bit different. Yeah. And then there are lots of, generally lots of bouncing backwards and forwards. Um, So the way, I mean, the way they do it is that they, they come up with a a first layout of a page, Mm -hmm. which we kind of agree on if it's going to get the main things across. And then, then we kind of make sure that the text and everything fits into those spaces. And then, yeah, we take it from there.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, I just kind of wanted to know that because i just, it's hard to, you know, when you have a picture of what you want your book to look like, but then you're just writing in a black and white, it's kind of, it's, it's a, mm. I find there's a bit of a disconnect in my own brain. But.
1: <laughs> find a friend who's a designer, who's a graphic designer, and they'll be able to inspire you with lots of ideas. They're very clever, these graphic designers.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's what I need to do. Like, I'm one of those people like to try to hack everything on myself. And I'm like, there's yeah. no way I could do that in a million years. I don't even know what the software I would use. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So then, let's let's talk in a little bit about the science of art book first. I do have a few questions on that. You did mention that um, you know the best way for cooking vegetables and stuff. So, are there some general best methods for cooking particular foods, or is everything different? Is there like best methods for meat or seafood, or is it everything different based on what you're trying to get out of it?
1: It does depend what you're trying to get out of it. If you want, if you, generally if you're going for flavor, then you want to have something that causes this thing called the browning reaction. Um, so the the brown reaction is also called the maillard reaction um uh, th- that's what gives toast its flavor it's what when you grill things it's why all of a sudden it tastes really fantastic it's what what gives popcorn its popped flavor uh it's as what as i say also what gives meat its meaty flavor it's when you you quote unquote caramelize onions and they're going brown and soft you're not caramelizing them at all you're um, causing this browning reaction and you're getting um, these, these rich flavour compounds which are chemically what's going on is you're getting fragments of protein with fragments of sugar and they're reacting with one another to produce lots of different substances that give off aromas and give off flavour so if you're wanting to generate uh, lots of flavour then they're the kind of things that you want to do. Frying uh, lets you cook at very high temperature um, and also if you're going for flavour um, fat um, makes things taste good. Uh, and so you need to kind of not skimp on the oil um, in your food if you actually want it to taste good. Uh, so so it does vary. And I do look at the different kind of ways in which you can cook vegetables. And generally speaking, uh, steaming, as I think most of us probably appreciate, does come out top for uh, for for cooking vegetables. Um, cooking vegetables. Although I say that microwaving is often on a par or sometimes a bit better. Um, and sous-videing, so that's like vacuum packing it and cooking it at a controlled temperature, is probably the best of the bunch. But there's been so little research on it so far. Uh, because it's not really something that people do very often.
0: Sorry,
1: that was sous vide? What was that? Yeah, sous vide. Uh, French, uh, French word. S U S S Sous vide. Um, or when you get a... Uh, people do it with, with fish often or steak. You, you get a vacuum pack. Uh, you, you, there's, there's a machine where you put your ingredients in and then it seals it into this uh, airless uh, plastic pocket and then you put that in a uh, bowl, a, a, a hot water bath. Um, but you can just get a pan at home and you can get a, a water pump. You can buy them and you set the temperature that you want, the the, the the cooking temperature of your food. You put it in there and then you leave it there for half an hour, 40 minutes. You can even leave it in there for most of the day if you wanted to, because it's not going to overcook. It's going to get to the optimum temperature. And then when you take it out, you will have perfectly... If you, if it's a steak, you'll have medium rare, perfectly medium rare steak because it will be done all the way through to the right temperature.
0: Oh, huh. I'm gonna to have to uh,
1: YouTube or check it out. What I think. I've yeah, it yeah, out. check out CV cooking.
0: Now, let's let's talk about something you mentioned. This wasn't in my list of questions, but you, you brought it up microwaves. Because mm. <laughs> that, you know, depending on who I talk to, do you own a microwave? Let's start with that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, do
0: you? Because, yeah, depending on who you talk to. You know, there's. Uh, I know because there's been studies that have shown how microwaves, like you said, actually keep in a lot of the nutrients where other cooking methods take away. But then there's also studies, you know, where the people will say microwave the water and they plant seeds with it and those seeds don't grow. Did you? Does your book at all the science of cooking? Do you get into kind of any of that microwave controversy at all, or do you just?
1: <laughs> no, it's very. Um, there's there's a way of controversy. There is a there is a whole um, double page spread on microwaves and how they work. There's there's. all different cooking techniques, kind of uh, like grilling and frying and slow cooking and oven baking and kind of there's a a big double page spread on each one showing you what's going on and revealing you some of the sort of the scientific, um, the science-based tricks of of why it's working or why it isn't working. No, I don't. And my uh, reading of the the microwave water thing is that uh, when you do it uh, properly, um, like scientifically, it doesn't really, it doesn't actually make a difference, and so I, I don't subscribe to that uh, microwave damaging the water thing. Um, and on balance, it's an extremely energy efficient way of cooking food. It's very quick, mm-hmm. um, and as I say, you can you preserve preserve a lot of the nutrients. Uh, you you generally though don't get things tasting too good because it's very difficult to get that browning reaction yeah, in a microwave it does and the way that it cooks is it does it doesn't cook from the middle a lot of people think the microbes cook in the middle it cooks um the first uh, about a centimeter and a half into the food um so if you've got something that's very thick uh, it just doesn't get in far enough um so you can end up with hot spots and things like that so it only really works with things that you can stir around halfway through so okay. but yeah I, I think it's a tool it's a useful tool
0: gotcha yeah no for sure yeah I'm, I'm i'm very mixed on them. like we have one of my work and i'll I heat up stuff in it sometimes i don't have one at home um but you okay. know, i'm not one of these freaks that run away from them either um you know so <laughs> i've got kind of in the middle i'm just kind of like yeah you know i'll use it if i need them but i tend not to use it too often um like okay. you say, i mean like yeah you know, i've read the science it's, it's so hard i mean people like you that have been trained in science you know you're really good at understanding what like what is a really good study and what's not a good study Um, you know, you're very good at the scientific method. People like myself are just kind of like, you know, we kind of just jump to the conclusion. They go, ah, all right. But we, you know, sometimes people say, well, this study was really bad for XXX. I'll go, oh, okay. I didn't didn't look all those variables. But anyway, um, now you had mentioned too about vegetables and, you know, there's kind of a big movement right now towards this whole, you know, plant-based diet, but there's also a lot of people who are, you know, all about everything should be raw, 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 um, But you had said there are better ways so is raw the best in all cases
1: no it's not it's not and there's certain certain foods you know off the top of my head you've got um carrots and tomatoes um they uh, you get more nutrients out of them when they're cooked the carotenoids in carrots uh, the body has a hard time extracting those from from the cells of the carrot and so by cooking it a bit, cooking it gently, it liberates them and so your body can absorb it better. And similarly, there's a substance, an antioxidant in tomatoes called lycopene, and that is much better. Well, you can get a lot more of it when uh, the tomato's been, been cooked. So tomato puree, for example, is fantastic, or tin tomatoes, again, fantastic source of lycopene uh, for that reason.
0: Mm, yeah, so yes,
1: yeah. not not everything. So blankets raw everything is not a good idea.
0: Yeah, no, I even know with uh, even with like kale and stuff, and even broccoli to a point, there they say you should steam it because you break down the cellular walls. Uh, you don't want to be eating that raw too. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, off the top of my head, kale and spinach—they definitely do benefit in terms of nutrient release uh, by cooking them, by steaming them lightly. Yep.
0: Now let me ask you a question. Then, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see people make when it comes to cooking? Um, you know, besides people, you know, just cooking pop tarts and thinking that's cooking. <laughs> what are some of the mistakes you see by people who are semi decent cooks?
1: Well, look, I think that anybody who's prepared to get in the kitchen and give it a go, then I, I think respect for them for doing it. And res- and I think one of the mistakes people make is that then they don't try new things. They stick with what they know and they're scared of trying something new. And so I think a lot of this is why. Um, spices um, in the west are these mysterious uh, scary things that we just we buy once for a recipe and then put it in the cupboard and it never sees the light of the day again and we wonder what on earth am I going to do with that that incredibly expensive saffron that I bought once (laughs) so I think we um, do ourselves a disservice when we're not prepared to experiment and I think that what you could good thing to do is if you are like many people um, have a cupboard with loads of spices in that you've that you've used once or that you never use or you don't know what to do with get them all out, open them all and sniff them all and go oh yeah and then, then think about what food that could go with and then next time that you're out somewhere and you're having a meal. And you're tasting something, going, oh, I wonder what that is. See if you can recognize what some of those spices are. And you might go, oh, yeah, actually, I can get a bit of cumin coming through with that. There's a, there's a bit of coriander there or something like that. And you'll just get inspired to start being brave and, and using new ingredients. I think in terms of other mistakes that people make is they um, overcooked meat, I think, is a travesty, mm-hmm. I think. When people use lean cuts of meat, say something like um, a lean beef or a chicken breast, and they, they cook it for a long time, say in a, say in a, a crock pot or something like that, it will, uh, it just ruins it. The only meat that really benefits from long and slow cooking is the, the tough cuts, you know, the things that have come from the shoulder or the really hard working parts of the animal because they've got this substance in Uh, called connective tissue they're like it's the sinews it's the stuff that makes the muscles strong that's that's tough and inedible to us but when you cook it slow and low for a long period of time that substance which is made up of a protein called collagen Mm -hmm. it breaks down and reforms as gelatin which is the same thing that makes um jello bouncy Uh, and that's why when you get slow cooked meat it just falls apart and it's succulent and it's just got this delicious kind of mouthfeel. that's and, and that's what's going on and so you can't get some chicken breast dice it up and throw it in and expect anything other than rubbery pellets at the other end
0: yeah it makes sense does your book uh, do you talk at all because the bone broth and collagen is the the big thing right now do you talk in there at all about the proper way to prepare bone broths or anything like that
1: or no 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 i don't no i don't and it's generally just gone down the conventional route of uh this is for a um run-of-the-mill cook um the the the, the science of cooking is very much about the the everyday cook who just wants to know how to use the stuff that they've got around them better and to understand a bit of what's going on uh there are some recipes and some how-tos in there but the main, the main point of it is, is to get across the principles of, oh, I didn't realize, oh, that's what's going on. Oh, actually, the muscles, the balls the, the that are, haven't opened when I've cooked them, they're actually perfectly safe to eat. Oh, it's just see, I did not know that. I always throw them yeah, away. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Everybody does because there was, a, there was a very old, I think it was an English recipe book, that uh, the person that wrote the book said, throw them away because they're bad. But actually, they're, they're perfectly fine. The reason they haven't opened is because the, the muscle that clamps it together is just slightly stronger than the other ones. Um, it's inside, it's cooked just the same. So next time when you get them, don't throw them away. Oh, bugger, People I didn't think, know that. I th- throw them away all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but people will think you're being mad, you're gonna kill yourself. Open it up and prove to them and go, Look, it's perfectly cooked inside. It's you know, it's it's healthy, it's fine. You've been all this time been thrown away lots of perfectly good seafood.
0: All those little muscles have died for no yeah. reason. <laughs> yeah, because I always just assumed, I'm like, well, it may make sense. You know, that it's sealed, it hasn't opened, so it must not have cooked on the inside, you know? But
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, it does. There is some kind of logic there, but it's, it's not true. Uh, the ones that are open before you start cooking them, you've got to throw, All the ones that are cracked, you definitely got to throw them away because they should be, muscles should be live uh, when you cook them fresh. Uh, because if they've been if they're dead, then they could have been dead ages and could have had bugs and nasty things growing oh, okay. in them. Toxins and stuff. So if they're open already, then it means they're dead. If you tap them, they should close up to, to kind of prove that they're alive or not. Um, so the ones that are open before you start cooking um best avoid those ones.
0: Oh, so, you know that's surprising me which kind of brings me to my next question. When people have read your book The Science of Cooking, have you got back um you know I'm sure there's lots of questions people like always surprised but is there anything like anything that keeps coming up where they're wow I did not know that or I was wow I was so surprised besides the muscles closed? Is there the the muscles
1: about- yeah the muscles one is a good one. Uh, the other one that people don't realize that, that they're surprised about is with cooking rice. Is that people think that uh, so when you got brown rice and white rice, you look on the back of the packet, and every cookbook will tell you that you need to put more water in with the brown rice than you do with the white rice, and they say it's because um, it, the, the brown rice absorbs more moisture. That's it's not true at all. Uh, the reason why you put more water in with the brown rice is because it takes longer. It's got the um, it's got more of the tough. Uh, fibrous outer coating on it so it takes longer for the water to penetrate in it and to to um, to cook it on the inside but the amount of water that's absorbing is exactly the same so what you can do is if you get a pressure cooker you can put rice in there so you can do rice and pressure cooker and um, comes out really well actually Um, uh, you can put brown rice in there and and you can put white rice in there you can put different types of rice in there and you seal it all up and it will all cook and all be done just right when they when it comes out the other end, and you have a really nice mix of rices. Just to prove the point that they both cook um, in exact the same amount of water.
0: No, that makes sense. I guess because you know you would lose more of the water in the steam, right? So you would need more of the water, I guess. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you just yeah that, that's that's the only difference. Yeah, so don't believe the thing about that it te- it's absorbing more moisture. It's not.
0: Okay. Yeah, those uh pr- you bring up pressure cookers. Those things have made a, quite a big comeback over the last few years. I guess um I- I've never really had one, but I actually did an Ayurveda cooking class when I was in India recently, and we used one there. And uh, I guess the I guess the older ones, you know, were a little bit sketchy on the safety points, but I guess the newer ones are a lot better. Have you used kind of any of the newer ones? Do you have any?
1: We had one ages ago when we first got married, and it was one of those things that sat in the cupboard for ages, and we never used it. And I think we we gave it away or something. And now I wish we, we still had it because they are fantastic. They do they cook things super fast. Uh, if you want to make a stock, um, it's great for that because when it's cooking in there, you're getting it to above boiling temperature, but it's not actually bubbling. So if you're making if you're making a stock, then the, you want and you want it to be clear. Then because it's not bubbling and frothing in there, you're, you can end up with a perfectly clear stock. But yeah, they're brilliant. They're they're fantastic. Um, I, I think I think people should use pressure cookers more.
0: Yeah, no, like I said, when I went to India, I was like, wow, it was like 15 minutes and the rice was fully cooked. It was like this, uh, t- it was a turmeric kind of vegetable rice. I was like, wow, that was so fast. I'd never thought about one of these. So three things I'm looking at buying for myself in the next maybe six months is a pressure cooker um yeah. so an idli steamer you know the the indian italy's kind of like a little steamed bun you, you, but you got to buy a special little um bowl you kind of put them in that shapes them i'm looking at one of those and uh, okay. better better pots and pans i've been doing a lot of research lately on like healthy pots and pans and mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. very difficult. <laughs> much more difficult than one would think. You know, everybody tells you to keep away from the Teflon, and then you know people are like, well, the, the copper, but copper's not much better for you because you know we have so much copper already. And then there's yeah. some, say iron, but then they're like, well, iron, iron's really good, but if you're eating a lot of acidic <laughs> food, then iron in food is a guy you don't want much iron. There's stainless steel, but sometimes the stainless steel, if you don't get good grade, is nickel and cadmium in it. And I'm just like, wow. And everybody can agree on glass, but glass
1: is the one I don't want. <laughs> no, you, you don't want to cook with glass. It's not a good material for for conducting heat. you no, I I, I think you you can overthink these things. I think I think you've just gonna got to um, read it all once and then get a gut feeling on it and go for something that actually is gonna is gonna last and is gonna give you good quality, tasty food. Yeah, I'm I'm leaning
0: towards stainless steel and a really good quality ceramic. I think.
1: Okay. Okay. Yep. I I think stainless steel is really good. I think it's really you can get the um, the ones that are they're called I think triple ply, where they've got several metals in the actual in the base. Okay. Because stainless steel isn't um, fantastic at conducting heat. Uh, but there are different ones. There's, there's ones with steel and there's ones with aluminium. And the, so they put in the in the middle, um, sandwiched between the stainless steel, a better conducting metal. Um, so aluminium, for example, conducts heat fantastically well. Or it could be copper, or it could be something else in there. So you can have the benefits of the stainless steel. It's incredibly inert, doesn't rust. It's uh, really easy to clean. Uh, but you can also get some of the the properties of other metals. Um, like copper, for example, that conduct heat fantastically well, um, without actually having the copper, um, okay. without having whole copper pans, yeah, which cause... are frighteningly heavy and very expensive.
0: Yeah, because what happens, I guess, on like cheaper pans and stuff like that, if you just have regular stainless steel, right? You kind of like you might get a hot spot in the middle, yeah, or you might get a hot spot around the end. So that way, you get yeah. spots that are cooked and spots that aren't. So you want something that kind of evenly distributes right through, correct? <laughs>
1: Yeah, the, the, the most important thing, actually, is the thickness of the base rather than the metal itself. So if you have you can have a really thick based aluminium pan, they don't actually exist, but you could do. And it would disperse the heat as well as a thinner or a regular thickness copper pan. It's so the thickness. So don't be deceived by um, exotic sounding materials. Um, pick it up. Give it a feel, and if it feels really sturdy and it's got a a weighty base, then that's going to distribute your heat really well, and that's more important than the metal itself, I would say.
0: Okay. That's good to know. Now, let's talk about your book, Spice, because that's the one that Mm. I'm overly familiar with, and and I love (laughs) it uh, so much I ordered the second one about two weeks after I got this one. why did you decide to do an entire book on spices? Like, 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 it's just, it's just you pick one topic. You said I'm going to go for spice, and just you went for
1: it. Yeah, the, there wasn't a good one out there. Um, Agreed. I was, I was chatting with the uh, with the publisher because um, Science of Cooking had come out, and it was really good. Uh, it, 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 sales were really great, and. They said, let's do something else. Um, And we are bouncing around with They They said, what about spice? And they looked around and they said, there's nothing really that looks at the science of spice. There's loads of stuff on there about, there's loads of stuff out there about the health properties of spices and herbs. Um, There's lots of recipe books. There's books about different spice cuisines around the world, but there's nothing that actually looks kind of globally at spices and takes a scientific viewpoint on them with with how to cook them best and so I said uh, yeah that sounds very interesting I looked into it and then um, came up with this idea of actually we can we, there, there's, there's there's reason here to put together a periodic table of spices so there's a periodic table of spices and it's all about exploring uh, the differences between spices what a spice is Um, the history uh, of spices around the world why different areas have different um, spices in their cuisine Uh, why is it what is it that gives spices their flavors Um, and then then I discovered as I was researching it that there's common themes that occur with spices with the the substances in them that give them their flavors that that we just call broadly flavor compounds um, that you can get spices from completely different parts of the world, from completely different plant families, that actually have similar um, flavor compounds in them. They have a very similar core um, core flavor. And so and I realized you can group them together almost into families, and so thus this whole idea of the periodic table was born.
0: Yeah, because you have your – I'm looking at your book right now. You have your – it looks like, is it 12 flavor groups that you kind of combined everything into?
1: yeah that's right yeah
0: so yeah you got sweet warming is it phenols right sweet phenols phenols, yep yep, yep. yep. warming uh what's that
1: turpin terpenes these are these are all um i think on the next page or so it explains what these names uh maybe it's the page before yeah the page before it explains to you what these words actually mean and these are just the names of the the chemical if you like that's in the plant itself and the things that give spices their flavor This is a thing that this is a mistake that we often make if we're not used to cooking or especially we're using spices is that we don't use them because spices taste horrible. If you were to get a spoonful of of coriander seed, for example, and you just ate it, it wouldn't be very nice. You just try getting a, a peppercorn and you start biting into it and chewing it. And it's not exactly the most enjoyable snack in the world. And that's because spices are designed to be repelling. They are the bits of the plant that that the plant doesn't want to be eaten. So, you know, cinnamon, it's the bark, um, coriander, it's the, the fruit that we call the seed, um, ginger, it's the root. These are the precious things that, that the plant doesn't want to be eaten. So it loads them with these substances, um, that are very potent. Um, uh, and they have, um, when, when you have them in normal quantities, you get a piece of bark, we start chewing it. Um, it's really not very nice at all. But the fantastic thing is, is that when you put it in tiny amounts, so the amounts that we would cook with them, these um, substances, these flavor compounds, and they've got different names. There's kind of there's terpenes and there's phenols uh, and there's aldehydes. In tiny amounts, they, have, um, they, they, they take on these, these, these qualities and these characters of, of floral, of fruity, of woody, earthy, um toasted all these different things that 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 our nose um and and our and our palate pick up on um that that it's just kind of it's a wondrous thing i can't explain why in microscopic amounts something that is not designed to be very nice is actually really lovely
0: yeah and like you said even that in some of them when you heat them or you can prepare them differently it changes their flavors too yes
1: absolutely absolutely so yeah uh, mustard seeds if you soak them before you use them you get a lot more heat out of them because of the reaction that's going on there too you should always if you if you're thinking about flavor um don't just get your spices your ground spice and throw them in the pot with your with in, with the with the sauce and everything else because you're 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 sacrificing so much of the flavour. The the flavour compounds, these things that that give them all their character and their nuance, they dissolve well in oils, in, in fats, but they don't dissolve very well in in water. So in the same way that you could get um, a slice of of lemon or a few sprigs of mint and you put it into a, a jug of water, it will take ages, forever, for that flavour to get into the water. Um, It's more there for kind of decoration than it is really for flavor But you do the same thing in a um, if you had a if you had if you were to do it You had a glass of oil uh, or or alcohol is also very good then that flavor comes out and is distributed Very very quickly. It's the same with your spices is that if you're just throwing it into a watery dish Then most of that flavor isn't actually escaping from that from that little granule of spice You want to you want to put it with some make sure that you cook with some oil so ideally you can you can cook it in the oil at the beginning, sort of fry it off, um, or when you're cooking, make sure that it isn't just completely fat free, otherwise you're gonna get a very one dimensional flavored dish. Mm-hmm. and so definitely brown them off to begin with. so essentially roast them. You can do that in a pan, you can do it in a dry pan, you can do it with some oil, you can do it in an oven. and it's a good idea to use hot get whole spices and um because they're so much better. Seriously, when you've had whole spices and you've roasted them and then you've ground them up, you will go, wow, that's incredible compared to the stuff that's been pre-ground and it's in a jar and you don't know when it was ground. And the industrial process in which it went through to to grind it caused a lot of those flavor compounds to evaporate away and be lost. You, you realize it's a great thing to do.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So you're talking about the, the whole spice versus getting like those kind of the Ziploc bags hanging up in the spice aisle, the no-name yellow ones.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. yeah. I mean, they're, st- they're still good. They're better than nothing. But if you can convince yourself to that it's worth the extra few minutes to do it whole, then you get it so much more satisfying. I mean, in, in the book, there's loads and loads of different spice brands that you can do. And you can prepare a batch and then put it in a jar and... It will it will do it will do fine for a couple of months in a jar, and you've got your own fantastically flavorful blend of spices. Or even if you get some just some coriander seeds, for example, and you just um, do do a batch load in a in a dry skillet or frying pan, and then just for a few minutes on a on a medium high heat, keep moving it. Till it's all nicely browned. Take it off, let it cool, and then grind them up. I think a great investment you can put this on your list if you haven't got one is a coffee grinder. A, a small little coffee bean grinder mm-hmm. because you can use them for spices. You can buy individual posh, expensive spice grinders, but just use one of those, those low-cost, fairly cheap uh, coffee bean grinders, and then you can blitz your spices up without having to go through the hard work of pestle and mortar. And then it's there, it's done, and it will um, transform your cooking.
0: That sounds like a great idea. I will do that for sure. Do it.
1: <laughs> Seriously, do it. You, you will not regret it.
0: Would you say now, would you say that in the West, the stuff you're talking about, I'm sure this is probably so foreign to many people. Would you say mm-hmm. that in our Western, what I call it, our, our Wonder Bread culture, because it's so bland and boring. Oh, it
1: think, is. Oh, it think
0: is. We, and I mean, I know British cooking is always kind of the butt of jokes. It's not known as the most delicious <laughs> cooking
1: either. No, you're right. You're right. We When, when. When we go abroad, we go. Oh, the food's so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, would you say <laughs> it's, it's, it's got better in the last twenty years? It has got better. It yeah, has I, got better. I, I
0: enjoy haggis myself. I've always been a haggis fan myself.
1: <laughs> it's underrated. I agree.
0: <laughs> it is. It's so delicious. I love it. Uh, mind you, my background's Scottish, so you know I've kind of grew up with that. But I've always <laughs> liked it. But would you say we need a real solid, at least minimal education when it comes to spices and herbs in our diet? I mean, I know Dr. Josh Axe. Um, he's always said one of the biggest things missing from the Western diet is spices and herbs. Would you agree with that?
1: I think I probably would agree. Yeah, I think I would. I mean, the book itself doesn't go into the health um, aspects of things, um, but I mean, you could talk at length about the potential health benefits of of spices, mm-hmm. and there were people more more equipped uh, than me to be able to do that. But I definitely think that yes, um, there will be the the benefits from the the trace compounds in there which uh, which will be good for us but then there's the flavor as well there's the it's the enjoyment of food and I think in the West um, it's all it becomes all about either food is nutrition just to keep us going mm-hmm. as a functional thing or it's something of just hedonistic gluttony of something that's got lots of fat and lots of salt and lots of sugar in and we're actually missing out on what food is. It's this um, rich experience that, that is enjoyed with other people and it satisfies all of our senses. Uh, it's not just about getting a full belly. And so I think that because we don't have much flavour, <laughs> much flavour really, no. in the Western cuisine, we're actually we're not making the most of that thing we do three times a day.
0: Yeah no I agree 100% and then you know I also like one thing I like loved about living in Asia is you know um, the social aspect of eating, too. You, mm. know? You, always, you, you never eat alone rarely. If you do, it's usually, honestly, the American or you know, the British or the Australian guy up in the food court on his phone. Yeah. <laughs> the Canadian guy flipping through while all the Asians are there. They're all, you know, they all go for lunch together, and they're conversing. and Like you said, yeah. it's not about massive amounts of food, but it's just about enjoying and searing time with friends, too. It's like, so I think that we've lost the social connection when it comes to food, too. You know? Like you said, it's just about nutrition, or it's just about, oh, just getting in my calories so I can get back to work.
1: Yeah, I th- there is a, there's definitely a truth in that. I think that you look throughout all history and it's all about peace has been brokered over meals. Um, you know, the best ideas have, been, have come up over meals. Uh, it's a way in which you bring people together. You, you've got a celebration. What do you do? You have a meal. You go out to celebrate with a meal. You, you, you have Thanksgiving or Christmas or, or whatever, and you make a meal out of it. It's this unique experience of, of sharing that involves all the senses. Um it's yeah. It's I think we are designed to um, to have food with one another.
0: No, I agree 100. percent Now, getting back to your periodic table of spices, um, mm. how did you come up with that? And then I notice when you flip to the next page, you have creating spice pairing and blends. So, and you use your periodic table in that. So, could you talk a little bit about how to properly, you know, it's just some of the basics or the or the principles of spice pairings and blending?
1: yeah sure so i think if you're um don't use a lot of spices there which which probably includes most of us it can be very bewildering all the different spices that there are there and there's so many different things there that we just get put off and we don't even bother in the end Um, and so that part of the idea is to group things together so that you can see things that you you know maybe you know about with ones that are less familiar so um there's two spices here cumin which most people have heard of and then there's another one next to it called nigella which most people probably haven't heard of but when they see it that the, the groupings are based on what the core flavor compound is the main the principal flavor compound that gives it its overarching character so is it a is it a sweet spice is it a hot warming spice is it a kind of um uh, a, yeah, a fruity spice is it um um is it, is it an earthy spice what's what's the core flavor compound that gives it its character and when you put them together you can you can actually interchange spices that are in the same group so let's just again say for example that um we've got, we've got a recipe that calls for star anise and we don't know what star anise is or how we're going to get it uh, but then I look, I open my uh, my periodic table and I go, oh, well, I haven't, but I've got some clove and they are different spices. They taste different. But if you've got a spice blend and you substitute one for the other, the core essence will be there. It will be the same and okay. you'll get a different you'll get a different nuanced, um a different nuanced dish, but it will still work. And, and by grouping these together with their principal flavors, you can you can build up your own spice blend. You can think about what is it that I want to bring to this dish? You know, what, what am I after? Am I after um, something that's got um, that's got warmth to it? Yes, I am. So I'm going to start off with a, um, a sweet warming phenol group. I'll take one of those and then am I am after maybe something that's got a bit of citrus to it. Then yeah, I'll take one from the citrus group and I'll add that in. And then you can kind of think about: um, what am I cooking with? Am I cooking with? Um, am I cooking with fish? Am I cooking with meat? Am I cooking with with a kind of quinoa or something like that that I want to I want to put a certain kind of twist on this dish? And you can you can build up your um, your spice blend like that, or you can just have fun. You can just throw things together and see what you do. because I think we we're scared of experimenting. I think we should enjoy doing that.
0: Um, but yeah, no, I definitely think we're definitely afraid of experimenting. We are caught up in our, you know, kind of meat and potatoes, salt, pepper, and maybe if you're lucky, garlic powder.
1: You know, oh, ooh, careful now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and garlic powder—even that's kind of pushing the envelope. Um,
1: oh, it's horrible though compared to real garlic
0: yeah no oh no for sure yeah no i got i got the real simple actually one of my favorite garlics and i was um that and i wanted to ask you actually i kept meaning this keep popping up my head but i keep forgetting have you uh do you talk anything about black garlic i love black garlic that's my mm-hmm, favorite mm-hmm. have you uh that how do they is that from do you know that one is that just from heating it because it's not a black garlic right i think they just heat it
1: i've not seen that over here I've, um but you can get different garlics that have been roasted um and and cooked and prepared in different ways. So it may, the black garlic that you've got, maybe that. Uh, it may be a variety that is black. Um, I've got to admit, I've not come across it. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll pass on that one. Well,
0: if you get a chance, try to eat it because you can, like, you can literally, you can eat it like a candy. Like it actually tastes sweet.
1: And okay, it's, so it's probably been roasted then. It will have been cooked because if it's raw, then it will taste – yeah, you won't be able to do I'm that very pretty easily. Sure it's
0: been roasted over a long time, but it's pure black and it's very sweet. But apparently the reason I kind of get into it is mm-hmm. because they say it has about five times the antioxidants of regular garlic. But the okay. taste is just so delicious. It has this real caramel sweet taste to it. So if you get a chance, mm. you know, look into this mm-hmm. black garlic. I think they call it Russian black garlic.
1: Okay, I will look out for that. Smoked yeah, yeah. garlic is also very good if you've spot that one.
0: Okay, no, so is that just garlic that's been? It's smoked? just
1: been, it's just been smoked, yeah. The bulbs just been smoked, yeah. Okay, so it's, yeah, it's lovely, it's lovely.
0: Now, in your book, um, you go through kind of, you diff- go through, I don't know if exactly countries, but you definitely go through breakdowns of continents. Like you talk about Middle Eastern um you talk about either, there's asian i think southeast asian are how did you did you travel to all those countries or did you just kind of more research their <laughs> like more research just like their dishes like how did you cause
1: I, I, <laughs> I, wish, I wish i wish i wish now what we had to find people because they we we spoke we spoke about this and i said look i can go in i can research all these different areas and all these different cuisines but really i'm not the best one to do this um, we want to, we want to find people who actually live there, people who who know the cuisine, who cook with the spices that are there, who know the authentic blends, the things that they actually cook with, and so uh, they did a really good job at finding people who could give us the information that we needed to put it together, so that we have here. Um, what is a representation of and I think it's a true representation like a lot of stuff you would just google online and say show me Nepalese cooking and you've got some some sort of thing that's kind of inspired by somebody who visited Nepal once Uh, you've actually got something that has come from the ground so, you, you know, for example, there's a Southern Africa, I've just opened up to the Southern Africa page here, and it's got a local spice brand of a Durban curry masala, and it's got the the spice palette, the different spices that they were use in that area. And, you know, so we are indebted to the people who actually live in those countries for giving us that information.
0: Yeah. No, well, so somebody, like I said, I've lived in Asia for six years and I traveled through all of it, including India. And I mean, your book is pretty much right on the spot. Um Do you find there's different um, I don't really want to use the word stereotype, so I'm just trying to think of the better word, but characteristics of different Mm -hmm. countries that, you know, that that you can kind of make a general statement about, like I'll say, you know, like in Thai, Thailand, the food is just hot, spicy. Mm. (laughs) Um, Do you have different kind of during your research and, and kind of with this book, did you find there were kind of general stereotypes we can give to different parts of the world?
1: You've often got the, these kind of these key spices that have that are characteristic to certain regions, and um, so I mean, India, for example, is uh, places that around the equator are the places that have, are the habitat for most of the spices, which is why us in cooler climes we're rather limited because most spice plants don't grow where we live so and you look at uh, India for example and obviously you've got the things like uh, you've got your fennel and your cardamom they're really characteristic and, and that they, they there's two different types of cardamom there's black cardamom and green cardamom although they are actually different plants and different spices altogether. Um, so there are definitely general themes of the different areas um, as you go around the world so yeah and australia there's some fantastic spices from australasia that that you would you would never have heard of and for all these spices that we that we found from around the place um i had to obviously get all of them and and discovering some of these spices there's one called wattle seed absolutely fantastic it's from a tree that grows in the in the outback in the bush in the australian bush that aborigines have used um, for as long as Aborigines have existed, as for its medicinal properties and for cooking with, and the way it's prepared, the way it's dried, it gets this toasted, roasted, smoky flavour that is unlike any other um, spice, really, uh, really that's out there. And you can it's the sort of thing that you can put on a on, on a rub for something, and you can grill it, and it will give it that real kind of meaty weightiness to it. And also in in Australia, there's Um, uh, 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 a spice called lemon myrtle it's from the leaf and that has the substance in it that makes uh, lemons taste lemony called citral it's a concentrations 50 times that of in lemon so when you have it you can you can get super uh, lemony punch into something without actually needing a lemon and and so it's just fantastic you have it and you go my life that's lemon in a in a powdered form um but but it's brilliant because if you say you wanted to do something cook something with with milk or cream there's a danger with you using lemon juice that you'll cause it to to split but you could use this instead and get that lemon infusion without having to have the the lemon juice itself um, so, yeah, there's just there's a whole world out there. Yeah.
0: One of the other things, that, speaking of lemon, um, to, we're on a lemonish topic. One of the other things I've been researching lately is about zesting because, you know, there's so many. Mm-hmm. vital nutrients within the peel and you know we, oh, yeah. very few people zest it's very mm-hmm. and i can't remember in spice do you talk about zesting at all do you get into that i can't remember.
1: no no we don't we generally just stick with the actual the whole spices um okay. but there's there's uh there's dried lemon and um, sorry there's dried lime in there mm-hmm. um but generally you that's it's it's been dried already, so you wouldn't actually zest it. So no, no, it's not enough. Yeah,
0: see, I'd never heard of dried lime. I was like, well, that's interesting. I'll have to try that. I'm gonna look for that one for sure because I love. Oh, yeah, it's good. Flavors, so.
1: It's good. It's good.
0: Now, so I guess let's talk then, because um, we're getting, we're hitting the hour mark now. I don't want to keep you all day. Let's okay. jump into the ultimate spice rack. Uh, for home, wow. Or at okay. Le- or at least maybe you know. I don't know how you want to go crazy. We could go with your top five that are not salt, pepper, or garlic powder. Uh, but, okay. You know, okay. Let's talk about what should I own?
1: Okay. Now, I think you, you've got to have some of the staples. So you've got to have something like, um, like your cinnamon mm-hmm. for for where you want it when you want to do some something that kind of a crown pleasing sweet dish now but the thing is is that when you get cinnamon don't just go into the shop and pick up the first thing that says cinnamon on it because it's probably not cinnamon it's probably a relative of cinnamon called cassia which which gives a cinnamon like flavor and legally they're allowed to call it cinnamon but it's not really cinnamon um and but it's a much harsher flavor uh, and it doesn't have all the warmth and the sweetness of real cinnamon. So um, when you when you look, make sure that it's true cinnamon um, when you go out looking for your cinnamon. So, yeah, I will get some cinnamon. Uh, you also I mean, the thing is, is I'm going to say to you some things that are really quite boring because the, but they are just staple essentials. Um, I want to also give you some some real fantastic ones. that You just need to have and just need to try because they're brilliant. Um, but so you want coriander coriander seed uh it's incredibly versatile the same thing with cumin you can add those to so many i mean they're in so many different cuisine you know across asia just everywhere really where you've got great tasting food you'll find coriander and cumin coming up time and time they're again the same plant so- aren't they technically uh let me just check that coriander, they're they're different plants yeah oh, yeah they're absolutely okay. coriander i mean i don't know if they're in the same plant family or not but they're okay. definitely coriander cumin definitely different plants yeah um so i would say coriander cumin cinnamon they're kind of staple things that you want to have around uh obviously we're not including garlic are we and uh,
0: well you can include fresh garlic real garlic just you said not garlic powder
1: <laughs> okay okay uh you want something hot now um we all know about chilies There's some other ones that's worth considering. There's one called Shizuan uh, pepper.
0: Mm,
1: It's Chinese pepper. Uh, It's Chinese pepper, used a lot in uh, South China. Now that, uh, it's hot, um, but it also has a strange sensation uh, on the tongue. It's got substances in them called sanshules, and they create almost an effervescent sort of tingling sensation on the tongue, almost like a fizzing. So when you have it, it brings this whole different uh dimension to food that you won't get in other things in the same way that, that um menthol for example has a cooling effect it it tricks the mouth into feeding something that isn't really there uh shizwan pepper shizwan peppercorns they're well worth investing but failing that uh, we've mentioned black pepper haven't we
0: yeah well your black peppercorns you're saying to you get the whole ones right and crush them yourself versus just yeah buying, i would just buying pepper
1: I did. I did a spice demonstration um, in a department store a little while back, and I wanted to do and I, and I demonstrated a whole different bunch of spice blends, and I wanted to prove to people that you can make things that have heat and flavor without using chili, because most people think spice is chili and it's hot, mm-hmm. and actually you can use you can use black pepper can give you lovely warmth, uh, just like uh, just like chili pepper can, and so I think that. You don't, if you want it, if you want to have something in your cupboard that's spicy um, and you don't have any chili pepper or or whatever, then um, black pepper, fresh black pepper is fantastic. And you can bring a lot of heat and a lot of depth to a dish with just whole black peppercorns. Uh, powdered stuff uh, is not very good. It's not very good. Um, so there, there's some of the core ones. Um, but as um, what else is it? Oh, turmeric or turmeric. That is um, that's in a group called uh, that, that are called unique compounds because it's one that is um, uh, got sub got flavor compounds in one which is called turmerone which is unique. You can't really um, you can't find it in pretty much any of the spices. So that's one that you can't really substitute for another. So turmeric, I think, is something that is well worth having. And it can bring some fantastic flavor, <laughs> um, fantastic, fantastic color to your dish. Um so yeah, turmeric, coriander, cumin, black pepper, uh, cinnamon. That's only five. I feel, but uh, but you'd be doing yourself a disservice. Um, start with those. See how you go. See how you go, and then but then, but it's worth finding something like your wattle seed or your lemon myrtle or or you know even star um, anise. Star, star anise is fantastic. <sighs> Try making your own five spice once. It's really good. It's it's. Have you have you used five spice before?
0: I've heard like the Chinese five spice.
1: If you've never cooked with it, find, find go and buy some five-spice, and you'll find it can lift your, your stir-fries and your uh, Asian-style dishes fantastically. You'll you, you add it, and you go, oh, wow, that's the flavor that I get from, from Chinese cuisine. That's, it's five-spice. It's this blend of five-spices.
0: Yeah. So, do they call it that because of their five flavors that they believe in, and they've combined the spice from each flavor group, or is that something just entirely different?
1: you know i don't know i think it's i think it's just that there are five spices in it that okay. you but i'll have i can have a look i can have a look into the origin of whether uh, of what it's actually called uh, regionally um but no not too sure about that one but it's um but but try it use it in a ground form and then you know what it's like and you go actually this stuff is brilliant and then have a go at making your own and then you'll you'll get it and it will be Fresher, zingier, and if you you can experiment. And one of the points of 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 the book is that you can chop and change, and so you can swap one for another, Um, and then you can get a, a, a slightly different twist on. Um, on your on your spice blend
0: now what about um just one more question what about the fresh grown herbs like i grow the the basil in my house Mm. and the rosemary Mm. you a fan of that sort of stuff or you know do you should i should i dry them out after i cut them or can i just use them right like pick them and throw them in a pasta sauce
1: no herbs are fantastic i think um i love using herbs um but you can't use them like spices and generally speaking they don't dry very well um so we, so we generally, a spice is any flavoured part of a plant, strongly flavoured part of a plant that you use in small quantities that you can typically dry and will last for a long time. Uh, but it's everything on the plant apart from the leaves. The leaves we call herbs. So if, it, if it's a green leafy thing, it's a herb. If it's not a green leafy thing and it's got a lot of flavour in, we call it a spice. The, the herbs, most herbs don't do very well with drying. Because the when you dry them, uh, the leaves are quite fragile. The flavor compounds, the flavor substances, they're in little oil droplets. And as the leaf dries out, the little oil droplets, they essentially break and they release all their vapors with all the flavors with them. With a spice, with a whole spice, when you dry it, inside that whole spice, those oil droplets, are they're secure, they're, they're, they're not moving, they're not going to break apart, which is why spices last for so long so with the leaf it's delicate um you need to use it when it's fresh the exception are there are some hardier leaves so some some herbs uh bay leaf for example we've included included bay in this book because uh calling it a spice leaf because it is one of the few leaves that improves with drying Mm -hmm. uh some of the hardier leaves like um rosemary they do okay with drying um oregano does okay with drying but on the most part stick with fresh and add them at the end of the cooking because because unlike unlike spices they the which there's lots of flavor it's all in the oil of this um of this seed or, or whatever it is that, that you're using that, that will be seeping out with the um with the green leaf um they're, they're flimsy, they're thin, there's, there's relatively little amount of flavor in there. And you put it in at the beginning, it'll all be vaporized and gone by the end of it and you won't get it. So add the, the herbs right at the end, the spices at the beginning.
0: Excellent. Well, that's very good to know. Now, let me ask you this, a personal question. Your hmm. favorite spice to use or your favorite maybe... Um, country food like, you know some people like oh i love thai it's my favorite i love chinese it's my favorite i love indonesian what, what's yours your favorite spice or country
1: okay i've just fallen in love with what's called asafoetida or hing hmm. it's it's also called devil's dung this spice is the most repulsive thing you could possibly imagine it's it comes from a dried resin yet seriously it comes from a dried resin that is so potently horrible it has um sulfur containing substances in that um that you also get in rotting and decaying flesh it is horrendous and it's so potent that when you buy it in a powdered form it's been mixed with flour to dilute it a bit because it is so potent. Now, why on earth has that become my my favorite mm-hmm. spice at the moment? Because if you get a small amount and you fry it with garlic and with onions at the beginning of cooking, then these, these sulfur-containing substances um, they develop and maybe they, they, they give the dish almost a meaty quality to it because you, you Sulfur containing substances you get them in meats and not in many other plants And so you can use it in vegetarian cooking and it gives it a depth and a meatiness and in the India subcontinent That's exactly what they use it for the vegetarian cuisine that, where it, it can be called hing mm-hmm. and so I just this I've, I've discovered confidence of using this um, uh, I, I made a mistake once of using a lot of it, and it was just destroy, <laughs> just horrendous. Um, you want to keep the lid tightly sealed on this one, um, but yes, fantastic. Give it a go, and you will be surprised what it can do with your, do your dishes. And where,
0: uh, where do you buy that from? Like, just like, does it come? Does it come fresh? Does it come in a can?
1: Like, comes comes in a in a um, you can buy it in a pretty a, a plastic packet or in a little tub. I get mine in a little tub. Um, if there are Um, In the UK, we have um, kind of a lot of um, uh, Indian Pakistani culture uh, here. And so you can find shops that have lots of spices in. You kind of sometimes got to hunt for them a little bit, depends where about you live. But if there are any kind of, I don't know what you call them, Asian supermarkets or something like that, then... That's the kind of place where you can get. Oh, though you can now get pretty much everything online. So you can get your Australian spices, your waffles seeds you can just buy it online and yeah. and yeah, do it that way if you prefer. A favorite region is Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um and because I, I visited it, I visited there yeah many years ago, and because you've got the fusion of different cuisines coming together, you've got the Chinese, mm-hmm. you've got the Indian, you've got the Western, you've got the Malaysian. They've all come together on this tiny little bit of rock. And all those influences have come together, and people have created this fusion of food, which is really what spices is all about. It's about bringing all different, all these fantastic flavors from all around the world and putting them together to create something that is just brilliant. So I think Singaporean food is fantastic. Have Have you had the pleasure?
0: I've been to Singapore many times. I'm actually going there next month. And I was about to say, um, everything you just said is exactly the same as I say about Malaysia. Um, okay. Because Malaysia, the, the population is literally—it's uh, basically a third Indian, a third Malay, and a third Chinese.
1: Okay. So. Wow. It's great, though, isn't it? When you get those influences all come together, um, it—you kind of fantastic food emerges.
0: Yeah, no, Singapore Singapore's are great. In Singapore, you go, you go to the food hawkers, you know, down on the street. yeah, And you just go from one to one. And uh, yeah. Malaysia is a little, little less developed than Singapore. Um, so it's a little more on the street side. But, yeah, I mean, you know, you go to one guy and you can get you know your chicken sauté with peanut sauce. And he's also doing the... Um, uh, what's that Indian chicken, the the red one, um, that's very popular? Um, mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Tandoori, tandoori chicken.
1: Oh, yeah, tandoori chicken. So he does yeah, tandoori
0: yeah. chicken, and he does it it's, so you get, oh. it. it's like you get the Chinese and the Indian right at the same guy.
1: <laughs> oh, amazing. <laughs> yeah. You put it all on, on the same plate.
0: Yep, exactly. Oh, I do. I, I just pile it all. I just buy one. I go around and I buy buy like three or four, and I just pile it all together.
1: Yeah, I couldn't believe the food halls, the way that they have uh, massive rooms mm-hmm. with... With all the stalls around the outside, and you've got your Chinese, you've got your then, then you've got your Western, <laughs> your Western one where they're serving burgers and chips, yeah, and yeah. it's really popular. to you go, what on earth are people doing eating burgers and chips? And there's all this great food everywhere. Yeah, well, it's the same in
0: Thailand. You go to the hawkers; they're called hawker stalls for the most part. You go there in some of the outdoor markets, you know. But now it's very popular, is like you said, the burger places and the pizza guys are opening up. And I'm just like, ah, uh, well about that? <laughs> but for them, it's for them. I guess it's a treat.
1: Right? Yeah, it's like a real novelty. But uh, again, I love um, when I was in Singapore. There was a uh, fast food outlet called Teriyaki Burger, and there they make you know fast food hamburgers, but they got um, their teriyaki flavouring on them. They use a teriyaki sauce, and so it, that's just. It, I mean, idea mean, it's another example of actually we've got this fantastic thing over here, and we've got our food here. Can we mix them together and come up with something great? Um, Gotta admit that fast feed hamburgers aren't really my thing, but in principle it's great. Yeah, I know for sure.
0: So where can we uh, where, where can we order your books? We know we get them on Amazon. Is there anywhere else in particular you get them or?
1: Amazon's good. I mean, I always like to support local local bookstores, so I always kind of encourage people to order it in at your local bookstore. And actually,
0: um, to think of it, I did order mine through Indigo, which is our big chain here, because my friend works at Indigo. So I've actually ordered both of your books through Indigo. I found out about them on Amazon, and like you, I try to order them through the Canadian bookstore when I can. So I, I actually did get these through Indigo. Just thought of it.
1: Because so. bookstores are precious. You get the people that work in them. Are just fantastic here. they can when people can recommend you books to read and it's just lovely to go into a place and to be able to pick up books and look at them and it's I, I, I don't want, we, we lose our bookstores over here because Amazon's killing everything so I I think if you can do that but you can get it online get it online you can get it through the publisher's website but Amazon's going kind to of be the easiest place.
0: And any more books coming up in the near future?
1: So yes, we've got the science of cooking and the science of spice and then I'm writing book number three which isn't on cooking at all going going off piece this one and this one title still pending is the science of your day so from dawn to dusk everything that goes on in your day taking a scientific look at it so from all those things that you think about like i ever, one i always wondered about this or should i be doing this so when you wake up in the morning why is it that sometimes i can remember my dreams and sometimes i can't should i have my coffee first thing in the morning or is it better should i wait wait a bit wait an hour and a half is breakfast really the most important meal of the day? Should I brush my teeth before or after I've eaten? And all those things, you know, like from kind of road rage to um, um, sick building syndrome to everything that goes on your day as much as possible is going to be in this in, in the book that will take you through from when you wake up all the way through the day to when you go to bed and have a good night's sleep. And it'll be like your, sort of, your science guide to understanding what is going on and busting all those myths. The, the around the place
0: how about eating later at night you always hear people don't eat after six don't eat after yeah. seven. is that gonna be in there I'm, I'm only in the middle interested. of the book so I, have,
1: I haven't got late at night yet but yes i will be looking at is it is it bad to eat late at night or at least the uh, carbohydrates at night you
0: know everybody's like don't eat carbs after four yeah you
1: know? yes i'll be i'll be diving into some serious research on that and one of the great things that i'm that is it, a real privilege to be doing the book is that i um reach out to various uh, experts from around the world and i'll ping professors so and so um in wherever they are and say found your research paper found it really interesting can i ask you a few questions about it because often when people have done research it's kind of four or five years old by now mm-hmm. and things kind of moved on and it's been great to have a chat with people from uh people you know professionals who dedicate their life to things like seasonal affective disorder and all sorts, of, and, and, and dental experts, uh, sleeping experts, just, you know, it's, it's great. So uh, I'm, I'm learning lots.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. There. Well, similar, like you do it through the book way, I do it through podcasts. You know, one of the mm. reasons I came with a podcast is so I can reach out. You know, I was like, here's a book on spice, I love it, I want to know more spices, and now I get to talk to you for, you know, an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Now, where can people find more about you then? Can they follow you anywhere? Are you a social media person?
1: Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, um, uh, uh, which is real Doctor Stew. Generally, my my sort of little um, handle is real Doctor Stew, which is R E A L D O C T O R S T U. Uh, real Doctor Stew. If you put in uh, my name, Stuart Framund, Doctor Stuart Framund, there is a website that has a bit of blurb about me. I do have a a blog, although to be honest, I've been so busy with book writing, it's not. I've not had anything on there for. For a long time, but there's lots of interesting articles on there that you might enjoy reading anyway. Um, so that's the best way to find out about me via website or uh, Twitter. I am on Instagram as well, Real Doctor Stew. But um,
0: and any any uh, public talks or any lectures coming up in the near future?
1: Well, I've been invited. <laughs> uh, I've I've been invited to go to Australia to speak at a um, there's a wine Australian wine uh organization there's like a, a major wine growers um, organization out there that they've asked me to go and speak at uh not sure at the moment whether it's going to happen but potentially um in july time um i will be going out there to talk about the future of food and how that's going to influence uh wine and uh, maybe yeah
0: maybe you could do a science of wine later because that's another I one d- I like spices you know you got your Cacao's in there and you got your berries and the way they age I and mean, it could be at least a booklet anyway
1: yeah well i'm going to try and i'm going to try and spend a bit of time there hopefully to be able to enjoy some of the um some of the cuisine when i'm out there but yeah i do get asked to do all sorts of odd bits of research every now and then um to do things like what's the best way to cook a a burger or what's the, the companies get in touch with me and say say can you find out some science research about it and so i've had all sorts of things i've had i've had houses full of various kind of cookies and hamburgers and sausages and we've had beers before and all sorts of things and uh, my friends always say to me, can you not get somebody to ask you to do some research on wine so you can have a house full of wine for once, please? So I'm still waiting. Wine and chocolate. I want I want people to come and ask me, could you do some research for me on one of these things?
0: Oh, that would be a good book. A wine and the Science of Wine and Chocolate because they're so similar. Even mm-hmm. coffee. You can throw, coffee I can kind of throw in the wine category because, you know, you get all the different flavors of coffee and the way you roast it. There's so many interesting mm-hmm. ways to go with the mm-hmm. science of things. So.
1: There are indeed. There are indeed.
0: Well, listen i'd love to thank you i will let you go now but that, like all i can say is this if you're listening to this podcast and you're interested in cooking you're interested in spices the best book I, for spices hands down is your book in that like i said i've ordered the science of cooking definitely another two awesome resources i think if you want to improve your kitchen skills or learn about kitchen skills so i can't say much more than that they are just amazing books so uh, yeah, that's about it. So, I'd like to thank you for being on the uh, show today.
1: Uh, great chatting with you, Raw. Thanks.
0: Perfect. Thank you. Talk soon. Take care. Bye. <laughs> You've been listening to the Health by Design podcast with wellness architect and functional lifestyleist Roar Alexander. If you enjoyed this, please make sure you share it to all your social media so I can get the word out there. And don't forget to join me at www.roaralexander.com to get all the latest updates, blogs, podcasts, and guest interviews with my special guests from all over the world, as well as to set up your own personal call for one on one coaching through my Health by Design Life and Body Transformation programs. Again, that's www.roaralexander.com www.roaralexander.com i'll see you again soon and again thanks for tuning in to the health by design podcast